And we're live with JavaScript Air. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Ken C. Dodds, and I'm your host for JavaScript Air, the live broadcast podcast. And today we're going to be talking about Firefox DevTools and React and Redux. And so before we get started, um, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors. So we have a premier sponsor, Egghead.io. And uh, they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on Node, Angular, React, every, like all kinds of JavaScript awesomeness. Um, and there's actually just a shout out to uh, Trevor. He has a, a recent course on React testing that is super solid and is teaching me stuff. So that's awesome. So then Frontend Masters is a recorded expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous and functional JavaScript, as well as a lot of other awesome front-end topics, so recommend you go check them out. And then TrackJS. Uh, TrackJS uh, reports bugs in your JavaScript um, before your customers even notice them. And with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context you need to actually fix the bugs. So check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And I'm getting really good at saying telemetry timeline. Uh, <laughs> so, um, cool. So. Just as a reminder for our viewers who are watching live, um, you can ask questions during the show with a hashtag JSRQuestion. And um, yeah, as always, follow us on uh, Twitter and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. Uh, and also, we are a weekly podcast. And so our next episode is actually going to be introducing the JavaScript Air panel. And so um, we have some awesome panelists that have really cool backgrounds um, and lots of great experience that we can learn from. And so um, check us out next week, same time, same place. Cool. So let's go ahead and uh, introduce everybody that's uh, part of the show. For our panel, we have Dan Abramoff. Hey there. And Kyle Simpson. Hello. And Lynn Clark. Hello. Who's actually a guest today. So we'll be hearing from her a little bit more. And we also have uh, Matt Zabriskie. Hello. Um, and so. Um, we're also uh, joined by some special guests, uh, James Long. Hello. And Jordan Santel. Hi. Uh, and as I said, Lynn Clark is also a guest. So let's let's talk about this really quick. We're, we're going to be talking about Firefox DevTools. And Lynn, James, and Jordan are uh, working on the Firefox DevTools. Um, and it's, it's built in React and Redux. And so that's kind of our subject for today. So... Uh, we probably should have just made Dan a guest also. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so let's get an introduction to our guest really quick. Why don't we start with Lynn? Can you give us an introduction to yourself? Sure. Um, I am actually the newest member uh, that's on this podcast. I joined the Firefox Devs Tools team a couple months ago, maybe even, maybe even just one month ago. It seems like longer. Um, and so I've uh, come on to... Um, in part help with, uh, we're really more at the beginning of this process of moving to React than we are at the end of it. Um, so I'll be helping out a lot with that. Um, and so Jordan and James have been working more with the early experiments with React in developer tools. Great. Um, James, what do you have to share with us? Um, about myself? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, I've been with Mozilla for about four years, maybe five. It's crazy. Um, and uh, But I've only joined the DevTools team about a year and a half ago. Um, but it's been really cool. It's probably the team that I've most enjoyed at Mozilla for sure. Um, it's just got a good mesh with what my interests are. Um, so yeah, I've been using React. Um, I got really interested in React in the first year that it came out for a lot of reasons. Um, so I really fell in love with it. Um, so when I joined the DevTools team, I was doing React a lot on the side, um, and it, this has just kind of naturally come out. Uh, my team was just kind of asking about React, and so we've just kind of... Um, so I've been helping figure out where it could fit in and what we can be doing with it. Um, but I've been... I have a long background in functional programming. I used to use um, Scheme. I used to write a, write a lot of Scheme, um, which is a subset of Lisp, and um, just have done a lot of various things. So I enjoy React because it kind of embraces this functional programming paradigms. Cool. So you and Brendan Ike uh, are buddies, right, with Scheme? Um, yeah. Yeah, in some ways. For, sure. Sure. <laughs> something to talk about, at least. <laughs> yep. So, Jordan, um, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah. Uh, I'm Jordan. Um, I've been uh, with Mozilla for almost three years now um, on the developer tools team. Uh, managing the, the team that handles 
tools for the one uh, percent of people that actually need them. So like uh, memory snapshot tools, uh, profiling, um, uh, JIT inspection, uh, and things like that, and uh, gaming tools in the pipeline. So not not the not the bread and butter tools, but like the uh, the scary the scary tools. <laughs> I think that's actually a terrific description of those tools. <laughs> uh, I always, uh, so we want to make them less scary. That's that's the <laughs> ultimate goal. Uh, yeah. Well, um, good luck. Those are, those are really really impressive tools, um, and they're really handy when you need them. So cool. I think um, a a good intro um, to get our conversation started is um, probably like what. Uh, can, can you describe a little bit about how Firefox, DevTools, and React are even related at all? Like, I don't know if, if many people realize that uh, DevTools um, are actually written in JavaScript. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, I can talk some about the... Uh, so we have a client-server architecture, which I think almost all DevTools have these days. Um, so the front end is really... I mean, we'll go into this more um, in a little bit, but it's kind of a weird variant, but it's pretty much just a web page. Um, so you have your, your HTML, and then you have your JavaScript, and it, the, the front end and the tools are very much just like JavaScript as you would write it normally in a web page. Um, the back end is kind of special, but it still is a bunch of JavaScript. Um, we have special platform C++ APIs that are exposed to what's called Chrome um, JavaScript, which is kind of funny because we call Chrome this, uh, you know, the whole browser, um, everything outside of the actual web page in Firefox is Chrome. Uh, a little confusing. But the, so this is like privileged JavaScript that can access um, these special C++ APIs to hook up the, a debugger instance and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to connect a debugger to this web page and call these um, set different hooks so that I can step and I can break on this location. Um, but the whole, most of the backend is still written in JavaScript. It's this layer on top of this very low-level um, platform APIs. Sweet. So, um, what uh, what kind of led to the decision to uh, go into React developer tools, or, or sorry, to use React uh, for the developer tools? So it it's kind of funny because I remember. About a year and a half ago, or maybe like almost a year ago, um, we were at a work week with my team, and I, I forget exactly what started it, but I, I had been using React on side projects, and I had really grown to like it a lot. Um, and I remember the the idea was I was going to go into a room with just a couple of my coworkers and like talk about React, um, but it grew into this like I actually ended up just giving a presentation to the whole team because like everyone was like, oh, there's like we're going to be talking about UI stuff, um, and everyone seemed interested, so I ended up just talking about the whole, um, kind of explaining the fundamental ideas of React to the whole team for about 10 minutes. Um, so I think that showed a, uh, a, a desire to have a better U, uh, UI system, a better way to share UI code. Um, the whole team was super interested in it. And so, you know, it just over a year, we just talked about it more and more. Um, and uh, we have problems with our current system. And so we just, without, I mean, React is really the only option in terms of the frameworks, quote unquote. It's not really a framework, but between Ember and Angular and, and other things, React is really the only one that we can use because we're we're a very special environment. We we're not a normal web page. Um, but so I mean, it's pretty much just uh, our current system just isn't really meeting our needs. I don't know if Jordan has anything else to. I'll say it was a it was a long process of uh, lots of arguments. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, James uh, was you know championing at the start, saying, "Hey, check out this React thing. It's pretty cool," um, and showing us demos, and they're all very impressive. Um, but at the same time, it's like, "Oh, we have these things that work, you know, enough for us to start, you know, roll your own solutions, whatever we have." Um, and was it like a strong enough reason to, you know? Rewrite things using React, and is, is this going to provide enough value to? Is this going to be worth the time we're going to, you know, dedicate to spinning this up? Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty for a while, um, and eventually we just people just started doing it. Um, like we started with small example, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. Um, but we started with some very simple examples, saying like, "Hey, like we." 
we made this tool using React. Look how clean this code is, or look at this whole class of bugs we just eliminated that we no longer have. Um, we have a different class of bugs now, um, but those are a little bit more manageable. Uh, yeah, and I think um, so. Some some context. We're most of the DevTools is actually written in this thing called Zool, which is, I mean, the name implies how weird it is. Like XUL. It's it's just like precursor to web components, basically. Like, Firefox itself is written in Zool, um, but the whole Mozilla, um, like, Mozilla has announced that we're, we're just moving, uh, working as hard as we can to get off Zool, because it's just this, like, old part of our, like, Gecko code base that has weird bugs, and, like, everything is, by default, this old, the, the older Flexbox style. Every single element, by default, is this old Flexbox style. It's a completely different, like, layout system. Um, so we're really moving hard to get off of that. So we're going to have to rewrite a lot of stuff anyway. Um, so we're in a really good position to... Um, so, first of all, we're not rewriting everything. That is completely not an option. But we, we, we want to set a vision in, like, two years from now, where do we want to be? Um, and the idea was we're going to eventually slowly migrate off of Zool anyway. We want to be just normal HTML that you can load up into a web page. So we're, we're in a good position like to just embrace something like React anyway. Uh, we, we might as well just not do something that's homegrown um, and have to manage all the documentation and do all that. We can just leverage an existing huge ecosystem like React and just get a really head start. Yeah, and following up on the Zool stuff, like, um, Zools were pretty much, like, the hipster version of uh, web components in, like, early 2000s. Yeah, um, 2001, so it, it was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and the only reason you would ever know it is if you worked on add-ons or Firefox itself. Um, so with, like, the, you know, the latest hype and craze over React, which is, you know, very modularized components and... Um, you know, web components, this seems like a, these are good replacements for getting rid of this uh, technology that we would like to get rid of. So you mentioned that uh, when, uh, or in this process of switching to React, uh, you've noticed that uh, like a whole class of bugs go away and, and problems go away. Um, I, I'd like you to talk about that, um, but also, uh, Jordan, you also mentioned that you have a new class of bugs that, or, or uh, problems that you have to deal with. So I'd be interested to hear more about um, some of those cl uh, class of problems as well. So uh, one of the, the main type of bug that uh, I know, so a uh, quick background. Um, I, I guess let me describe the acceptance of uh, Re React on our team, I guess. Uh, so James was, you know, evangelizing this for a while and, you know, most people thought, I think it was a good idea, like, oh, this is good, but is this worth it, et cetera. Um, and so with our uh, new memory tool that we just shipped in four, Firefox 44 um, in November, um, we figured, like, that this is a simple enough tool visually. Um, all the work is done, you know, in a worker or, um, you know, doing heap analysis. Um, but the UI is pretty simple. It's just like a tree and a list. Um, so with that, and as well as our JSON viewer and our about debugging page, those are also using React. So these are, these were all like uh, small use cases of like, all right, we actually implemented this and this works. And once those things started landing, I think it was more of a general acceptance on our team. Like, okay, let's let's develop a plan to actually do this. Um, so at that point, I've heard a lot about React. I've read all the blog posts. Um, it seems like the new hotness. Everyone's screaming about it. And, you know, I, I, I understood it entirely on paper. You, you know, like it all made sense. Yeah, it sounds great, you know. Um, but I didn't actually use it until we actually shipped this tool. And, and then, it, then it all kind of made sense. It all clicked for me. I'm like, oh, James did make sense. Um, and it was, it was great that we could all uh, rally behind this common... Uh, patterns that James mentioned. And so the, the first thing I noticed, uh, being completely new to React, so I was expecting um, some, a lot of scary things, eliminate a lot of the race conditions that we've ran into a lot in uh, our dev tools. Because it's uh, this client-server 
client-server architecture, where our server is the uh, page we're debugging, whether it could be the same process on a desktop version of Firefox, or it could be a multi-process version of Firefox, so on a different process, or it could be a different machine altogether with uh, Firefox Android or Firefox OS. So there's all these inherent uh, race conditions that we ran into frequently because of um, faulty assertions. And a lot of this was due to, at one point, having three or four different promise implementations, um, which we're now, now done one, two, two or one. Um, mostly one. Mostly one, okay. Um, so we eliminated a lot of these conditions. We also started from this, uh, the ground up, and um, as in a new initiative to, James said, like, these things are just web pages, essentially, except we have to do a bunch, we have access to a bunch of, like, special C++ things. Now the web is a little bit more uh, sophisticated. We don't need to use any special platform APIs or privileged uh, code to get what we need to do. So as part of like the dieselification process and rewriting everything to be you know more webby, um, that also gave us a lot of advantages too, as well as, uh, as, well as using React. Um, and I think Lynn can probably explain the dieselification and the uh, just the overall making things more accessible to contributors and making our lives easier as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, James already touched on the fact that it's kind of a, a older style of doing things. Um, so um, one of the neat things about Zool is that, it, or about React, is that it takes this idea that you had in Zool um, with components um, and, and actually makes it something that web developers want to use. Um, you know, XML has a really bad name, but it was a cool concept that you could extend HTML and create your own markup and attach behaviors to that markup. Um, so it's kind of cool that React has popularized that. And so um, this doesn't really address any of the bugs that you see going away. It just makes it clearer for developers uh, who are developing to be doing this um, you know, when they see, see Zool, it has a syntax that they don't know. When they see React, it's a familiar syntax, and that makes it easier for contributors to jump in. So I, I think, actually, that's one of the things that I really like about React personally is um, just how, like, uh, simple it is, I think. Uh, and maybe, like, I don't know anything about Zool, so I, like, I can't make that comparison. Um, but I can compare to my previous experiences and for at least the way that I think um, about developing web applications, React um, just makes uh, thinking about my application, its state, and uh, just the way that I develop UIs a lot uh, more straightforward um, for me. I think, yeah, that's, that's the huge win um, for React. And not only React, I think Redux is such a great, I think it's winning because it espouses the exact same philosophies of React. So it just, it just matches so well with React, where it's like you have these three functions, that's the API, like it's all, it's all synchronous, just like React. Um, and like all you have to do is like, oh, I have this async thing here. It's all, all of my async work is in this one place. Everything else is synchronous. When I add an item to the array of the state, it's like, oh, the view like rendered it to the LI, and it changed the title up here. And it just all feels very much like you're just calling some functions and it all just magically works. Um, so that's going to be huge because right now it's really hard to work in our dev tools because when you change one thing, a lot of other things tend to break. Um, so I think this is going to be a drastic, a drastic difference of just like it's going to be the bugs that you won't see are like there's no bugs <laughs> or there's, there's fewer bugs. Um, so... Um, no. Sorry, sorry. Can I interrupt? <laughs> uh, uh, so, this is something uh, I uh, thought about a lot uh, in terms of like, how does Redux really help you, or to have like less bugs or maybe less serious bugs in your app? And uh, one thing I realized, which is like a really great thing in my opinion, is that, um, for example if you have uh, some kind of state change and you see that the data is not correct, right? So view is rendering something weird. Uh, you always uh, have um, 
a specific place to look at. So, for example, if you know that some uh, kind of state that something that something is weird, you know that there is a specific place in your code. This is the reducer managing this part of the state that is likely to have uh, errored. And you can take a if you log every action and the state before and after, you can see which action caused it. And so this is like super easy way to find the exact spot where you have a mistake. So Redux is like mistakes friendly. And this is the same uh, benefit that React gives you because if you see that something is rendered weird, but the props are correct, you know that this happened in this component and you just check the code. And this is what I like about it. Yeah, I think Redux gave us a lot of, uh, you know, just we were able to replay a lot of um, any issues that we had, we were able to just dump out the state and the, the, the past history of state um, and, you know, get a relatively deterministic results. And, yeah, like you said, we could dig down into a component. We can, everything was rather isolated, well-structured. It reminded me of, like, um, when I first was playing around with, uh, like, Rails years ago. Everything had, like, a really defined way of putting, you know, you put your models in this directory and your views here. Um, and I think, like, the, the terminology, like, actions, reducers, um, those things were really helpful just as, like, guidelines and then, you know, other people that are familiar with that can also jump in and make more sense of it. So, like, like Lynn was saying, the, the shared knowledge of React and Redux developers. We haven't talked much about the disadvantages. <laughs> yeah, let's get some of those. Yes. Do you want me to start? I can. Um, so there's like, yeah, there's nothing as a silver bullet. Um, one thing that comes to mind, um, I know that Jordan and Nick working on the memory tool hit some performance things, so he can talk more about that in a second. But um, I think one of the main things that I've been trying to think about is the, um, so if you have this like single app state atom and your views are depending on it, um, if you change the structure of the app state, then uh, you your views are broken, right? So you really don't want your views to just like dig into the app state um, and say like state dot sources dot breakpoints dot length or something like that. Um, what I did in the debugger was I actually wrote some functions as queries. I call them queries, but they're literally just functions that take a state and then they return something like get breakpoints. Um, and so, but so so one of the problems is like now now that you uh, have this app state and are handing it out to your views, uh, if you refactor your app state, which honestly happens more than you think, um, you have to end up, it's that kind of thing where you change one thing and you got to change a, bun a bunch of other stuff. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of a smell of something else needs, some other abstraction needs to be there. And I know there's like libraries like reselect, which is really popular, and I actually haven't used that yet, but I think that kind of solves similar problems too. Um, so that that's definitely one thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that was the first thing that came to mind. Um, yeah, this is what we suggest. We suggest using reselect, uh, and we actually suggest more than that. We suggest that you, uh, we call these functions selectors in documentation, but we don't put a heavy emphasis on them like we probably should, uh, because it's, it's a common problem in big apps. So what you usually want to do, in my opinion, is to put them in the same files as your reducers, because you want to um, you want to put, to collocate the things that know about the state shape. So in this case, if you've got a reducer managing some part of the state of the app, it's useful to define the selectors right alongside, for example, as named experts in the same file, so that uh, they contain this internal knowledge of the state structure. And just like you have reducers calling other reducers, you can have uh, you can compose selectors uh, uh, either by calling other selectors or by using reselect, which uh, is more performant but also lets you compose selectors. Yeah, so that's something we definitely recommend if you care about performance and not breaking things. Um, Go ahead, Jordan. No, no, no I'll, I'll wait. I just wanted to ask uh, about more of the, you know, it was mentioned there are class of problems that, or, or a new class of problems that you had to deal with. What Can you uh, touch on some more of those different classes of problems? 
Yes, sorry, I, I was rambling earlier about context, and I didn't get to get there. Um, the the so th this is me coming at it as a you know I think I'm a pretty good engineer. So like looking at it completely fresh, you know, running into some things. That's it's always a little frustrating learning a new uh, framework or language. Um, and so, like I said, it completely reduced a lot of the um, race conditions. Like we, it just wasn't. It just wasn't uh, there. We were just running into those, um, and having this deterministic uh, approach means that was fine. So the the issues that um, we were frequently running into were things when a React component view renders, you know, perfectly. Like we had a list view. All right, we're gonna remove this item from the array. All well, the list view is automatically updated, and that thing's gone. Or we edit some property in this state, and then the the, it's magical, it's beautiful, it's amazing. Um, so I was like, you know, for the first two days, I was like screaming with delight. Um, and then I was screaming with terror after that because, um, so we had, like, we had this tree widget and um, we load, so this is for the memory tool in Firefox developer tools. Um, so it's a tree widget and it could display essentially like a, a call tree of where all your objects were allocated from. Um, so just a normal tree view, and you can change your snapshots, which, you know, snapshot view you're looking at, um, snapshot being a, the state of your uh, memory heap at some point in time. So you can toggle between, you know, different snapshots. So doing that, we didn't um, tag these element, like the, the rows in the tree, um, with, like, identification. So, like, going back and forth, we would have, like, trees opening and closing and like expanding like unpredictably and uh, you know I, I, after digging around with more of you know reacts component APIs and it's like that was just harder to debug like we just didn't have the um, the tooling and um, you know we were looking at the tooling but this was like a like a two-week um, uh, learning experience um, and Traditional tooling is a little difficult to use in our environment that we're looking to make it better. Um, so we just didn't have good tools to figure out, like, why is this React view doing this? It's like when it works, everything's beautiful, everything's great. But when I pass in this state and I'm not getting what I'm expecting, then it's just it's just a different kind of problem that, you know, we need to invest more in uh, React tooling. They were definitely screaming, literally, in the IRC channel. It's funny. <laughs> With delight and terror, but... <laughs> nice. I got a question. Uh, I'm curious, do you have something like React DevTools inside Firefox DevTools to use them? Is it possible to even use something like that? It is. Um, so we have something called a browser toolbox, um, which debugs the Chrome, which is so, so confusing. D debugs, like, the privilege code. Um, so there's no reason we couldn't throw in that, that extension right there and it could load that up. I think that should work. Um, because our environment is so special and we're sort of a little bit more static and things, sometimes um, we have some problems with uh, libraries that assume certain things are in a certain way and ours is not that way. So uh, I haven't, I think I, somebody may have tried that and I think it did kind of work. Um, honestly, I think for right now, I think, once you get past the learning curve of React, I think that kind of stuff is mitigated some. I think the hardest part is like Redux, like what is going on in Redux. But we, I have, in fact, just in this last week, I integrated the, the Redux DevTools, and that was super easy to, to integrate. Um, and that's like super helpful. Like, this is everything going on, and it's just like toggle it on and off. And that's, personally, I find that way more useful than the React DevTools. Yo, say, I thought you, I thought you did integrate those, James. Well, he, I think he was talking about the React extension, like the actual React DevTools extension. That um, It's this extension that shows the whole component tree, just like the R inspector does. And you can like go in and see the state of the component and stuff like that. So that, that's totally something we should look into for sure. Yeah, traditional tooling is a little bit difficult for us. Like, um, So this is probably a surprise. We do not use JSX in our tooling. Um, for build build step reasons, um, so I guess we don't need a build step in that case, but we would really like one. 
So we're, we're working on things like that. <laughs> so it's a little weird to get used well, to. I'm actually curious if you can touch on not using JSX. Um, not that I'm questioning your decision. I'm more interested in uh, what your experience is like. Uh, I've never really tried it uh, beyond so, like a three-line component. So the it wasn't really a decision. It was just like, well, we don't have... Um, do we have Node in the build system? Does anyone know? I heard we do, but I've never used it. So. <laughs> yeah, so so because of uncertainties like that, um, like we just don't... We have a completely different build uh, step that makes it a little different to use normal tooling. Um, so having JSX as an option just really wasn't an option with our deadline. Um, and you, after a while of using it, it was pretty much fine. The main frustration with that was... Um, uh, there is zero documentation that does not use JSX out there for anything, I think. Like, I, I remember not finding any kind of resource of not using JSX, which was a little... It was, that was very difficult as a, as a newbie. That's definitely, yeah. I can see it being hard for somebody who's new. I mean, for me, like, I can map it so well with, in my brain. I guess I'm kind of used to it, but so this is something I'm really passionate about, and I could probably talk a whole podcast about like tooling. Um, I mean, obviously we've seen a lot of like discussions about tool tooling fatigue, but like I'm I honestly a year ago predicted that JSX would fade away, um, and I'm really surprised it hasn't because if you look at all of the other frameworks that are doing like the virtual DOM style stuff, like nobody does JSX. It's like only React, um, unless I mean I could be wrong in this, but like like um, Andre Stalt's like cycle JS like um, Elm. Of course, they have a different syntax that might map better. Um, like all of them, just like use what is the React.create element. Or I mean, not the React element, but like the React.dom stuff. Um, so I don't really care about JSX to be honest. It's totally syntactic sugar. I would adopt React without JSX in a heartbeat. And like it's like oh, you know, the sandwich might not taste as good, but it's like. I'm still eating a sandwich. I'm not starving to death. Um, I don't know. I just don't care about it in some ways. And I think there are more people on my team that probably do want it, and so we probably will eventually do it. But like all of this stuff about tooling fatigue and stuff, we aren't using any of that tooling that people are getting tired of, and we are getting all of the benefits of React. Like we literally don't. In fact, the only tool that I'm going to use is uh, Dan's React proxy to uh, do hot module reloading for React components. But I'm going to use that directly, and we have our own custom loader, and I just hook that in, and it works. Like, you just don't need the tools. You don't need them in React, and that's what I love about React. Um, like, you can't do that with in. I don't think you can do it in Angular. Definitely not in Ember. Like, you have to pretty much have the tools. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's a little frustration to me that people blame like React for tooling fatigue when they are the ones that are feeling like they need to use the tools, but you don't have to. Yeah, I wanted to add that, uh, like, if somebody is React beginner watching this show, uh, what I suggest you to check out is um, um, a GitHub project, which is actually just a README, uh, called React How To uh, by Pete Hunt. Uh, he's uh, from the original React team, and uh, he currently works at a startup, so he has perspective both inside and outside Facebook. Uh, and it's basically just a list of things you should learn uh, and the order in which you should learn them. So his main thesis is like, don't try to learn five things at once. You're not going to need them. Just start with React, then learn NPM, and so on. So it's a, it's a great readme. Check it out. Uh, let's get that in the show notes, Dan, if you could. That is a yeah, I, I added it. Yep. Thank you. I also wanted to uh, add another thing, which is like if you're confused about whether to use JSX or not to use JSX, uh, so something I uh, strongly suggest is to um, get a better of understanding of uh, what JSX actually compiles to uh, and what elements are, because this is something that uh, is, I'd say, elements in React, which is the things that you get when you type JSX, uh, are uh, not similar to, like, any other view frameworks, uh, except, like, virtual DOM. So it's, uh, I actually wrote a post about it. Uh, you can check it out on React blog. Uh, it's called uh, Elements 
components and instances. And I'm trying not to use JSX there. I'm just kind of explaining what the relationship between these concepts are. And it's really important to understand them because once you understand them, you will feel free to use JSX, not use JSX, because you'll just understand what actually happens, uh, whether you use it or not. Uh, I'm going to put this in the stream. I have a uh, question, <clears throat> maybe taking a little bit of a step back. Um, I'm curious, uh, obviously, we've got several pretty uh, big fans of React here uh, speaking. I happen to to not be really in the big uh, React bandwagon. Um, I'm actually currently learning it, but I'm not uh, not on the bandwagon yet. So I'm kind of curious, do you think, uh, so first of all, to those on the developer tools team, do you think that you've signaled anything about um, the stability of React by choosing to put it into the browser? I think there's a, maybe a little bit of a difference, perhaps, between choosing a technology for building a browser versus choosing a technology for building a site that could um, perhaps more easily change. So um, is React, is there any chance that React is painting you into a corner? Because my history on the web, I've been around quite a long time, and I've seen the ebbs and flows, and, and every two or three years there is a big thing that almost everybody seems to be convinced is the new solution, and we should do it this way from now on forever and then it's not. So looking forward, I can perhaps assume that maybe there isn't a React forever. Maybe there is some successor to that. So how, how painted in a corner are we? And are we signaling to developers it's okay to do that um, by choosing to build a browser with it? I think that's a really good question because we've been using Zool now for 15 years, I think, or something close to that. Um, and so... Does this mean that we're going to be using React for 15 years? You know, do we think that it has that much longevity to it? Um, I think one of the things that um, even the React team says, you know, that uh, there's probably going to be something that does replace it. But I think that the um, shift in the paradigm, the shift in the way of doing things that it uh, has brought about, is probably here longer term even than React itself. So even if we do then have to switch to something, you know, whatever its successor is, um, we'll have at least switched the paradigm, the way that we're developing things. Um, so I think that'll put us a step ahead. Can you be more specific with that, Lynn? That's exactly the kind of thing that I was interested in hearing. Can you be more specific? So yeah, moving to, uh, away from sharing so much state, uh, directly where you have different components poking each other's state and moving more towards having um, pure functions where you're passing things in through an interface. Um, that's something th that we have a problem with in the Zool right now is that we do have a lot of shared state. Um, and so a lot of coupling of different components. So I think that um, the things that React enforces are uh, helping us, moving us in a good direction. And also, um, setting us up to take advantage of whatever comes next. And I think, um, so for, we've, so I think the team historically has been somewhat resistant to adopting anything kind of third party for very good reason. I mean, for this, for this reason, um, we are long overdue to adopt something, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's going to be an extreme where you always program the low-level imperative API, and then there's an extreme where you're always adopting abstractions. It's always a middle ground. It's always, um, if you're on this, like, you know, if you know where we are and if you know where we want to go, we think this is the right choice. Um, on the other, And I, I also believe that software is an evolution. I mean, I think you're due a rewrite every, or, you know, a migration every five years. And I think it's basically what Lynn was just saying. Every every step that the web is taking is going to be built on the previous steps. So if it's actually better, in my opinion, to be evolving with these ideas that are coming along instead of being stuck in this sort of old school web development. I don't mean that as, as an offensive way at all, but sort of like assuming which what we're doing right now is manual DOM creation. Um, but there's, and there's sort of multiple parallel threads going along. There's Ember, you know, which is awesome. I really respect Ember as well. But I think if you're not 
the the counter argument for not for adopting thing or for not adopting things is that you're you're it's going to be so much harder to adopt something because you're so, that much farther behind the evolution of software. Um, maybe I'm drinking too much Kool-Aid. I don't know. I think yeah, um, I, think, what, I think you might be just a tad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think some of what you're saying, um, you know, at, at least makes sense to me that like if you think about it kind of in an extreme, I think it would be a lot easier to ma migrate from React to whatever the next cool thing, or, or let's take it to technologies we're familiar with, probably be easier to migrate from Backbone to React than it would from, like, Gwit to React, um, or exactly. you know, something like that. So, uh, like, you know, the, the front-end technology is moving so quickly, it's, uh, it's easier, I think, to stay at least, a, a, you know, not ahead of the curve or anything necessarily, or like bleeding edge, but you know, stay on, you know, near the edge, um, so that you avoid uh, this like huge leap from one ancient technology and a way of programming to another. I think. Sorry. Um, go ahead. I say. Um, so ultimately, we have to, you know pick something, whether it's a, a framework library or something we make on our own. And so I, I was, I was, you know, kind of against, not against, but like wanting to be convinced heavily uh, about this whole React thing. Um, and like ultimately we have to code something and it might as well be something that, um, you know, someone else is maintaining for who knows how long that is, but at least someone else is maintaining it for now. There's better documentation for it than we have for our own, you know, roll your own, um, you know, web app that we wrote. Um, and our tools have been around for a while. And, you know, we were a pretty small team. Um, very few people that were on the original team are still around. Um, and so we have these tools that, you know, maybe some people don't know that well. And they... They're not using the same, you know, framework that we're using now in our newer tools. So, not only does this let us outsource the responsibilities of, you know, developing this framework and easy to point to documentation for contributors and for ourselves, um, but this also lets us rally behind just the same thing and make our tools consistent. So, when you know React, you know, in 2025, when React is, you know gone and we're using, I can't think of a funny name for a framework right now, but we're using that. And then we, we're, we're moving everything from React to that new 2025 20, 20, hotness rather than dealing with old legacy things that are no longer matching. So we have that, at least that consistency across our tools that we can move to wherever. So um, I, should, I should give some, um, I'm sorry, Dan, you were wanting to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, so I just want to say that uh, in case of both React and Redux, uh, there is this moment that um, there isn't much API surface. Uh, there's a great talk about, about this by Sebastian McBage. Uh, I'm going to put this in links too, uh, called Minimal API Surface. So basically what this means is that, for example, if you use functional components in React, which were added uh, in the past version, uh, you're not really coding against React API. You're just describing how your view uh, looks uh, like given a, given some data as a function, and like it's you can take the same function and use it in Cycle.js just by code modding it to use virtual DOM instead of uh, React create element. And so this is pretty portable, and it's the same with Redux. I think like you're not really coding against Redux API, you're just writing functions that take uh, state and what happened and return the new state, and if you ever want to like uh, hop off the Redux train, you have these functions that uh, are for your domain area and you can use them in, in the next uh, library or tool. Uh, <clears throat> so what I was gonna say, I <laughs> I should, I guess, have given some full disclosure. I am one of those original Firefox Dev Tools Teams members that predates all of you here. Um, so I was working on Firefox four, five, six, and seven. So that I had might no date idea. me just a bad. Um, oh. I'm sure you won't even find anything from me that's left over from that long ago. But um, so I, I did actually work on that team, and I am familiar with the mindset um, that, that some of you were alluding to about 
trying to stay a little bit hands off from the current hot trends, trying to, I would say, adopt um, the mindset of something without necessarily adopting the thing itself. So I think there are some very interesting ideas that React brings. And uh, first of all, they're not new. There are ideas that have actually been played around with for a while. It just happens to be a particular formulation of those. So there's some interesting ideas there. But I wonder whether or not the choice um, to choose the specific React trademarked sort of implementation as opposed to the ideas is the part that, that can not only paint ourselves into a corner, but affect the trajectory of the web in and of itself, especially in a choice in a browser. So for example, um, just today there were two articles that came out and they were both talking about um, Firefox and Chrome respectively uh, implementing some update to their JavaScript engine for function.prototype.bind and both of them reference the idea that um, React specifically uses that quite a bit and there was pressure on the browsers to, to you know, implement some performance optimizations for that thing because of React. Well that cycle gets even more um, hyperbolic whenever those technologies become part of the browser themselves. And it can, I think, skew us a little bit. So I'm really only just asking to think about a choice of a particular implementation as, as opposed to the idea. I, having worked on the developer tools team and knowing how difficult Zool was and knowing how difficult a lot of those things were, I'm a big fan of making it better. Um, anyway, I just wanted to disclose some of that so people understood where my questions were coming from. That's a, that's a, that's a great point. Um, like these popular frameworks will influence what is going to be optimized in V8 and uh, SpiderMonkey and things like that. And I forget where I'm going with this, so I'll just stop. Cool. I think we we are coming down on our time here. So um, if there was anything else that um, our guests or our panelists wanted to make sure that we uh, discuss before we go into uh, J uh, JSR question hashtag on Twitter uh, and our tips and picks, then now is the time. Um, I think I'll say so, uh, something real fast, and I think, um, I, I don't know, I, I was thinking about it because of what Kyle was just saying, but I think, like, React's ecosystem is just so huge. That's just going to be a huge boon to us. Um, an example of where that comes into play is, like, hot module reloading. I mean, this is going to be a significant step for us because right now we actually have to, uh, we literally can't just refresh a web page. We are this weird Zool thing, so we literally make a change, close Firefox, restart it, open the DevTools, and that's how we develop right now. Um, but now we're, now that we're, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're, we're actually, in the past month, we have work going on to where we can dynamically reload it automatically. Um, but that still loses all the state where you were, right? Um, so using React, um, just in like a single night, I was able to drop in Dan's um, React proxy, which is the low-level API to proxy React components. Um, and I got, and then I injected it with our custom loader to save a React component, and you immediately see the changes. I mean, this is going to be a significant upgrade into our development experience. Um, so take, leveraging ecosystems is a huge part of, I think, being a just, I don't know, making, is a, it, 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 should, it should be a really convincing point to why um, it's good to use something existing. Um, so the hot module reloading is just something, I like just got that working, so that's why I want to talk about it. Um, but we're going to be having hot module reloading very soon, and hopefully we want contributors to be able to like download Firefox and then just open up some source files and save it, and they can instantly start developing onto the DevTools, and that would be really cool. Sweet. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I am, I'm so happy for you <laughs> to have that big of an upgrade on your development experience. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> cool. Well, let's go ahead and... Uh, We'll uh, get to our uh, Twitter questions. So we actually have only one, so if any of the viewers have any other questions about Firefox DevTools or React or Redux, uh, now is your time to ask them with the hashtag um, JSRQuestion. Um, our one question comes from Jeff Welpley, and he asks, uh, it seems like Elm and React have, a con have conceptual similarities. What does React do better than Elm? Um, and I don't know whether any anybody here really has like first class experience with them, but if you do, um. uh, I don't really have first class experience. But from uh, what I observed, 
people doing and so on. Uh, I'm not saying React does anything better than Elm. Like these are completely different paradigms. Uh, what I would say is that uh, React is probably more friendly to a typical uh, JavaScript developer who is not familiar with uh, like writing completely side-effect-free code, uh, this kind of stuff. So React gives you escape hatches like set state, uh, like lifecycle methods. Uh, so it gives you ways to do things imperatively when you need to do that. And Elm is more uh, pure and more uh, radical, so uh, it's a great way to get into functional programming if you're interested in it, but it can be a bit hard for uh, for average JavaScript developer to get into. And it is harder to, um, I mean this is an example I bring up, and I think Richard Feldman was like, yeah we have a solution for this, of course, but um, so like the the implications of not having set state means that in Elm, when you change something, literally the entire component tree is always re-rendered. Um, and that sometimes can have performance problems when you're doing stuff like animations for a very specific element, whereas right now, like in Redux, you're, it's kind of discouraged, but you're very welcome to like connect a very deep node in a component tree that's auto always re-rendering every 60 or every, uh, to have 60 FPS. Um, so it's, it's just easier to do things like that, I think, in React than Elm. And for, um, with regard to Elm versus React, uh, I would agree with um, Dan and James, but also way more people know React than Elm, and that matters a lot. You know, we're Mozilla. We, you know, all about open source contributions, um, and we see people struggle uh, when, like, doing their first patch. Um, we take a look, we take for granted the things that we know, like oh, well, that's just you're just destructuring this the return value from this arrow function. What don't you get? Um, and you know, I think we we take for granted a lot of that knowledge that we know, and dropping something in um, that's very different to what they're used to, um, something like the function reactive style of uh, Elm, um, and maybe they played around with React. At least they have docs they can look at. Um, I think that will hopefully uh, improve our contributions. Um, reduce time for that and also make our own lives easier. Cool. Uh, I also wanted to say that uh, in React's component model uh, you have stateful components. So uh, any component can be stateful and you as a consumer may not be aware of that. Uh, which is also, which is great for ecosystem because it's really easy to write something modular uh, with stateful things that uh, you as a, as a user don't care about. But there are downsides to you. But in Elm, you have to do more manual wiring. So, like you compose views uh, in React, in Elm you have to compose both views and update functions. And this can be uh, a little bit like more, more manual wiring you have to do. But th there are wins to be had uh, in Elm's model as well. So it's a trade-off. That's half of our job. Maybe more is evaluating trade-offs. <laughs> cool. Um, so we did get another question from Vile and uh, Vinyl. Uh, no, shoot, Vinyl, sorry. Um, and his, his question is, do you see performance implications on React uh, using React versus uh, using Zool? So have you seen improvements in performance? Um, yeah, actually, so Jordan can talk a little bit about uh, a downside they kind of hit. Because um, it, it, it does feel like, um, I've heard this before, it, it's kind of, um, similar to a JIT in some way. I don't think it's as bad, but there's like a performance cliff where if you don't set your keys correctly sometimes, if you're doing large amounts of data, um, React suddenly starts getting slow. Uh, luckily, it's not really usually too hard to fix. You just have to make sure to set the keys right to like sort of nudge React in the right way so that it's comparing DOMs more efficiently. Um, but there are, yeah, I've actually already seen in the debugger performance improvements because before we were like, actually whenever you it loaded all the sources in the source pane it would actually set the data into the dom twice and we didn't know that it was doing it before but now it's a very deterministic it's only loading it once um, so there's performance benefits but sometimes it can also be harder if you're doing a lot of dom stuff um, the the experience I've had um, so this is for the memory tool which did not exist so we have no previous version to compare it to um, but it's essentially just snapshot, like a, a, a list of items and a tree view. Um, <clears throat> and the tree view does, uh, you know, like a virtual viewport because there's a lot of trees, uh, lines there. And 
so our you know we we can use our own tools to profile our own tools so it's you know we, we do a lot of dog feeding um, and so we were noticed that you know when you're scrolling you know we want to only render the elements as they come into view and then then get rid of them um, the calculations we were doing to determine you know all these things uh, were like I don't know, two three milliseconds but then um, in our in our flame graph view of what was happening there was this giant like dump of uh, React functions that were being called, and you know, again, this is from the perspective of a React Redux newbie. I had no idea what was, you know, going. I didn't even know where to start with, you know, this giant um, cluster of functions called, um, just because they were all like internal functions, and you know, required a lot of digging around in documentation and um, just just a lot, like a lot of research and what what is going on because it wasn't evidently clear. Um, and this, to be fair, this was with our the development version of React, um, and we just James, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we just you just landed like the production dev version toggle because of reasons. Um, so I like that, it, but it's coming. We're about to switch to production, but yeah. Woo! Okay. Um, uh, yes, but the development version gave us a lot of uh, those model validations, the prop types, which were great. Um, so, we like, I, I, I kind of want those in production. Like, I want some error somewhere if these things aren't happening. Um, but I understand the development version of React adds a lot of extra performance overhead. But So that's something I think we're going to probably research more because um, assertions seem a lot easier with React and Redux um, than previously, and I think we should look into more into the trade-offs of that, but I think it's really important to have these um, assertions that we do have and provided by us by React and Redux. Great, cool. So we actually did get another question, but we don't have time for it. So um, if anybody wants to check out the hashtag JSR question and, and uh, respond to it, um, I'm sure that uh, Yevgen would appreciate it. So. Um, yeah, let's go into our tips and picks. So um, we'll start out with the panelists and me, and then we'll go to our guests. So Dan, could you go first, please? Yeah, so uh, I've got two, two picks today. Uh, the first one is that Lodash 4 is out, and it's been a long time, and it's got, it finally drops IEH compatibility. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's a great release, and you finally don't have to remember the folder names. Like if you import individual functions, you don't have to write like import from lodash slash lang slash something. Nobody remembers this. It's just lodash slash function name. So that's great. And my second pick is uh, you probably know that David Bowie died. So before he died, he released a video uh, about dying. So that's pretty crazy, but it's amazing song, amazing video, really beautiful and touching. It's called Pleasures, so go check it out. Cool, thank you. Uh, Kyle. All right. Uh, a few minutes ago, I mentioned those two articles. Um, what was interesting specifically about those two articles, not just that they were kind of coming from React, but what I found interesting most was that SpiderMonkey, Firefox's move was to bring function.prototype.bind from the C++ layer into the JavaScript layer, and V8 is actually doing the opposite and moving it from the JavaScript layer into the C++ layer. So it speaks to interesting differences in their internal architecture, both of them optimizing in opposite directions. Uh, one tip today, um, kind of, uh, I, I, every, everybody that sees me in person, when they see my laptop, they see these strange two little black squares um, down where my wrists go. It's because I use uh, these little palm pad wrist guard things um, to provide a better surface for my wrist to sit on. I don't use external monitors or keyboards or anything. I'm exclusively on my laptop 100%, and it's uh, awesome to have. So I recommend you use, if you work on your laptop for any amount of time, use some kind of supporting comfort um, or soft pad. Um, I'll have a link in there to the ones that I purchased on Amazon. It's not, uh, there's no uh, kickbacks or anything, but uh, I, I swear by them. And so anybody that sees me in person always asks about them, and I always tell them about using palm pads. Two picks. Um, 
just 30 minutes before our show went live, we had Microsoft uh, released the Chakra engine, the core, um, into open source. So Microsoft Chakra is now fully open source. It's up on GitHub. You should totally go check that out. Um, I think that's a huge, huge step. It's very uh, nice timing that that comes a day after they sunsetted all those old Internet Explorers. And my second pick, um, I just read a blog today about a uh, client that's being written. Uh, it's called DevSpace. It's a client for GitHub for all the social parts, like the news feed and the interactions and things like that. So it's kind of like a tweet deck but for GitHub. Um, and so you should totally check that out. I've got a link to that. Um, but DevSpace, I think they're in kind of private beta right now. I've already looked at it. It's amazing. Um, and so there you go. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, excited about Chakra. We're going to have Chakra, uh, some uh, people from Microsoft talking about Chakra in two weeks on the show. So uh, check that out. It's going to be sweet. So for me, I have one tip, um, and it is related to uh, the death of Internet Explorer, um, which, you know, it's kind of funny to say that. But my tip is watch your analytics um, and encourage your customers to get off an unsupported and insecure browser, anything less than IE 11. Um, but don't just like totally drop it, like that'd be dumb. Um, so uh, yeah, watch your analytics, uh, do what makes sense for your company, but um, do what you need to do to encourage uh, your customers to not use something that is not um, supported. And then my picks, um, I have one pick. It's actually uh, Dan's blog post, Elements, Components, and Instances. It's a terrific um, uh, blog post, and it really kind of helps you understand exactly uh, or more conceptually what's going on when you're using uh, JSX and, and uh, you know, returning your UI from, from these functions. So, uh, yeah, that's a great blog post. Lynn, why don't we go with you next? Well, first I want to second that pick of Dan's article, Elements, Components, and Instances. It is really, really well written. And it... Um, you know, I think it just will help you think more clearly about uh, all of these things, not just um, specifically in React. Uh, so you, you should definitely read that. Uh, and I'm probably actually going to do a code cartoon version that incorporates a lot from it. Um, so, <laughs> so my uh, picks uh, are actually related to what uh, we were talking about earlier, uh, James and Jordan um, talking about kind of the group decision-making process, uh, how you get a team to adopt something new, and how you just make decisions as a group in general. Um, so one of the things that I saw this week uh, was something that came out of Google, the five keys to a successful Google team. They actually did research into which of their teams uh, showed the most group intelligence, made the best decisions. And they thought it was going to be based on having a bunch of high-intelligence people uh, put on a team, and it turns out that you don't actually have a huge correlation between individual intelligence and group intelligence. Um, and the th factor that they did find had a high correlation was uh, psychological safety, how safe people felt in uh, asking questions, saying things that might be perceived as dumb, you know. Um, so that's a really interesting read, and it's supported in other research. Um, so uh, you can dive deep into that line of research. Um, and so one of the things that I found recently that I think helps with uh, developing that, um, that feeling on a team, uh, I found a good book called Consensus Through Conversations. Um, we've actually used it on the Firefox team a little bit, uh, or on the DevTools team. Um, basically, it helps you uh, have group discussions where you can... Um, get true consensus, not that kind of fake, nobody wants to say anything uh, kind of consensus, but it actually helps you elicit more um, true consensus. Uh, so those are my two picks for this week. Cool. Thank you. Um, let's go with uh, Jordan next. Uh, I want to I second Lynn's uh, communication recommendation. Uh, she, she led a, a little... Led our most productive meeting ever by following those things, so I'm, I'm really excited to read them. Um, my picks are, um, James wrote a blog post this week, um, sorry, sorry to steal your thunder, James, if you're going to use this, um, on the road to better source maps in the Firefox developer tools. Um, so this, this blog post is, kind of, I think it's a really good illustration of the 
rabbit holing we sometimes do on our team. Um, so it starts off with, you know, oh, we want source maps. We want better source map support in some tools um, and definitely need them in our console. So how do we do that? And it just digs into, like, essentially our uh, tools are just web apps, but, you know, they're slow. We have to integrate with, like, oh, the debugger. Like, how do we know when to turn on the debugger? How do we make this performant? And then it goes into a little bit about um, the different JIT tiers of, you know, JavaScript code. So, and I think it's a, explained in a really accessible way, and you don't need to be like a, a, a spider monkey hacker to understand it. Um, so I think that's really good. And if it's interesting, you know, um, this kind of stuff we work on. Um, and my other, other pick was just um, uh, getting involved with uh, Firefox developer tools. If any of this sounded cool, scary, or, you know, awesome, uh, we, have, we have good links of, you know, finding your first developer tools bug to you know, get, get started hacking on it and, you know, someone on our team to mentor you through that. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Let's get some of those links in the uh, show notes for people. So, uh, yeah, James, I think you're last. Sure. Um, so for tips, I basically said the same thing. Use Firefox DevTools um, and let us know how we can do better. We're at a really good time right now. Um, and I work on the debugger mostly, and we're actually talking about like a new-ish debugger UI. Um, not promising much, but uh, if you have any insights about what would be cool in a debugger, please let me know. And if you want to be an early user, I'd love to throw you some builds and uh, try cool new things. It'd be fun. Um, and for picks, uh, so I picked Omnext, which some of you may have heard about. Um, but I'm building a side project in Omnext, which is basically a closure script. Um, it's David Nolan's library for, um, it's like an opinionated library built on top of React that is opinionated about components, not, not only components, but also about how it does the data fetching over the network. So it's sort of a combination of Relay and Falcor. Um, but I like Omnext because, first of all, closure script is cool. And second of all, it's way simpler than Relay and Falcor, but I think it gets the benefits of both, and in fact is better at both for um, doing certain things. It's more it's more generic. You can actually have a simple node server with a REST interface, and it actually you can make it work with that. Um, so I've been really happy with just hacking on that as kind of the next step um, of doing data fetching, which is kind of um, we're researching a little bit to see if there's anything else we can do. James, are you saying that Firefox DevTools is moving to ClojureScript? Are you announcing that here today? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. So um, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I, I think that I'm going to change and say officially the show is 70 minutes, give or take, because we always <laughs> seem to go over by 10 minutes. But it's always good content, I think. Let me know if you, if you don't think that it is. <laughs> so... Yeah, so to, to wrap up, uh, you can submit suggestions to suggest.javascriptair.com and uh, for uh, episodes or guests. Um, and then if you have feedback for us, like the show shouldn't be 70 minutes, they should be 60, um, go to feedback.javascriptair.com. And hopefully in the future I can keep it down to 60, but I can't stop talking about this stuff. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So again, next week we're going to be talking with the just the panelists. Uh, we're going to learn about one another's background um, and you know some of the cool resources that we've all developed. So it, I, I think it'll be a really good uh, good show. And uh, yeah, same time, same place. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter, Google Plus, and Facebook to keep up with the latest. And uh, also. Uh, just a, again, a shout out to our sponsors, Egghead, Frontend Masters, and uh, TrackJS. They're awesome for uh, making this show possible. So that's it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for showing up. Oh, one other thing I wanted to make sure to ask um, is could we get uh, Twitter handles for our guests? Uh, James, why don't you go first? Sure. I am Jay Longster on Twitter. And Jordan? Jay Santel, two L's. Awesome. And Lynn? Oh, I am Lynn Clark. Great. Uh, that way people can reach out to you and bug you about Firefox DevTools. Hopefully that's okay. <laughs> Perfect. Totally cool. fine. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Goodbye. See thanks ya. All. Bye.